This is Unfunded Parties, your podcast for knowing more about the world around you. I'm Parth Shukla. You are what you eat. The statement implies that it is important to eat good food in order to be healthy and fit. However, the statement takes on a whole new meaning when you start taking it literally. Around the 1500s, when Istanbul was still Constantinople, the Europeans thought that they had found their panacea. This concoction could cure bruising, nausea, and pretty much anything that you could give a name to in those times. Similar to Nesquik, this brown powder could be mixed up in a drink, turned into a sludgy salve, or if you're anything like me as a child, you could eat it straight up. This cure-all brown powder was called mummia and it was produced by grinding mummified human flesh. Christopher Columbus, the man famous for famously misidentifying things, may have been the person to have coined the word cannibal. When Columbus first arrived at the island of Guadalupe, his findings suggested that the people of the area were friendly, cooperative and peaceful. He also suggested the rumor of a tribe known as the Caribs who would engage in pillaging and then eat their prisoners. Hearing about the barbaric nature of things, Queen Isabella of Spain gave permission to capture and enslave anyone who ate human flesh. When Columbus realized that the island could not produce the gold he was looking for, he went for his next best alternative, slaves. Anyone who would resist his plundering, Columbus would label them as Caribe and capture them. In another one of Columbus's misfindings, the Carib island word Karibna, which meant person, on its way across the Atlantic became the word we know as cannibal. Today, the word cannibal describes anyone who eats human flesh. Over the period of our history, cannibalism has taken many different shapes and forms depending on the reasons of the people practicing them. For example, survival cannibalism or cannibalism as a last resort, where the people were in famine or had no choice but to eat human meat to survive. But a lot of cultures also normalized its use in name of curiosity and culinary art. When the human Nesquik or mummia started getting popular, the demand for it increased and people started grave robbing to support its craze. At one point, these mummies were worth a lot more than the people they wrapped. Mummia remained to be a recommended medical treatment even until the 20th century. 
not just powdered mummies, but also blood, gallstones, brain oil, and many more bodily fluids could be prescribed to you in place of aspirin. Everyday cannibalism was practiced in the world until the mid-20th century. The Foray people of New Guinea had cannibalistic funerary rites and would eat their deceased loved ones to honor them by making sure that they don't get consumed by insects and microbes instead. Funnily enough, this honoring of the dead killed a lot more people than it honored by spreading a disease called Kuru Oops. that left more holes in their brains than those in the walls of an average American high school. Despite the social taboo we hold today, how wrong is it to actually eat a human being? Legally speaking, cannibalism finds itself in a gray area. While cannibalism itself isn't illegal in the US or UK, you probably have to commit some crime to get your hands on a slab of human meat. If you don't want to be jailed for eating human meat, you could just eat yourself. Autocannibalism is a thing. And for some odd reason, it is a really popular thing in some sects of the society. An example of this is placentophagy, a process where a woman eats her own placenta after giving birth. Apparently, it raises energy levels and reduces the risk of postpartum depression. The world of science is still far away from greenlighting this process. But that hasn't stopped celebrities like Kim Kardashian and Hilary Duff from going ahead and doing so. Some artists and artisanal chefs have also presented and sold off their private body parts at dinner events in a completely legal manner. Bon appétit. Before you bite in, you're considering whether or not it's worth it to put your humanity at stake for a steak made of human. I'll save you the trouble and tell you that we taste somewhere between veal and pork. Which is a conclusion I've made only after having read multiple cannibal accounts. But what about nutrition? Now we know that human meat is a surprisingly low calorie source compared to the other red meats, which may make you think it's a great locale alternative for your hamburgers. Which is great until you realize that a large number of calories isn't the only thing that threatens you in the world. I'm looking at you, gym rats. It may come to you as a surprise but humans carry some pretty bad diseases. If you eat someone raw, you may even contract bloodborne diseases like HIV, hepatitis, or Ebola. But even if you cook the meat, things may not go so well for you. 
there's something called a prion that puts us at an even bigger risk. Prions, as we know them, are regular proteins that have lost their shape and now become infectious. These proteins can influence other healthy proteins and distort them, causing a chain reaction eventually creating a big trend. Kind of like the first kid who brings weed to a high school campus. Unlike other viruses and fungi, prions don't contain DNA or RNA, so they can't be destroyed by heat or radiation. These prions could be present in most parts of the body, which means if you're consuming meat with prions, chances of you getting the disease are extremely high. However, the incubation period of the prion disease can take up to 50 years. So if you're in your middle age and feeling curious, feel free to chow down, Mr. Elector. I ate his liver with some fava beans and a nice key. While human meat may not be necessarily bad for you, especially if it lacks prions, eating it still carries incredibly high health risks that aren't probably worth it. What if you could get rid of the diseases and get disease-free human meat? Could humans be the food of the future? Some scientists believe that cannibalism could potentially help fight climate change by helping reduce greenhouse emissions, solving overpopulation and world hunger at the same time. In the oddest case of hitting two birds with one stone, I don't want to make it sound like an assertion that is going to happen, but if you look at the key reasons why cannibalism occurs across nature, it is usually due to the overcrowding or a lack of alternative forms of nutrition. In the world, there is a layer of culture that prevents us from cannibalizing. But we know that cannibalism has taken place with humans during famine. And with all the changes that are taking place due to global warming, it's not a stretch that cannibalism might occur if large groups of people were suddenly without food. There are over 500 trillion calories of human in the world. If well preserved and carefully prepared in a doomsday scenario, it could help a breeding population survive for an extremely long amount of time. Cannibalism is still a long way from being culturally acceptable because of it being a deep-seated taboo. So you may not yet have to worry about eating or being eaten. We may not be far from a time where we will be able to order human meat off the internet. We already can, but now it will be grass-fed and grown in a lab. Despite that, famous scientists like Richard Dawkins have endorsed the idea of overcoming this taboo with the advent of tissue culture and lab-grown meat. If we overcome this taboo, we may be able to test out these solutions in the future. One can only wonder how far this idea will grow. Will it be able to solve world hunger? Maybe. Will it open up an entirely new era of culinary experiences? Possibly.
am I extremely curious about how human meat tastes like? I will not say it on public record. But here's something that I will say. The future of cannibalism may not come the way we see it or the way we will want to see it. But it will certainly give a whole new meaning to Hey, let's have Chinese for dinner. Thank you for listening to Amphan at Parties, written, edited, and produced by me, Parth Shukla. This episode was recorded in my brother's walk-in closet in the rainy Berlin, Germany. Follow this podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Anchor, or wherever you find your podcasts. Hope this one was fun, and I'll see you at the next one.